This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello again, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan. Once again, thank you so much for joining with me. We are continuing today in our study of the prayers of Paul right, and how they give us a lens into the greater emphasis and principles of prayer that we see in the New Testament. Now, in the last two weeks, we've explored the two great pastoral prayers that we see in the book of Ephesians. If you remember, in Ephesians chapter 1, we, we heard, we saw Paul praying that believers would come to have the wisdom and understanding to know the presence of God, God's hope, right? being a part of his family, and the power of Christ's resurrection as a transforming presence in our lives, right? Big lens of prayer. What is prayer about? It's that we would know God. In Ephesians 3, we saw Paul praying that believers would come to know the unknowable, to know and experience the fullness of God's love. Again, big picture lens. When we look at the New Testament, what do we see prayer calling us to, to seek after, to do? It is that we would know and express the love of God. And friends, today we turn to a prayer in the shortest of all Paul's letters, which is also the only personal letter of Paul that we have in Scripture. And this is his letter regarding the redemption of a runaway slave named Onesimus, written to Paul's good friend Philemon. Right, a little tiny book of Philemon is right after Colossians. Now, this prayer is much shorter than the two prayers we've seen in Ephesians. But it's incredibly important as Paul prays that we would come to know every good thing. Now, before we go there, though, I want to take a step back. Um, just, just an example here, another little thought exercise. Have you ever had an experience? I know the answer to this is yes. This is true for all of us, right? Where, where there's something that, um, that you know about that's really, really good. Something that you've experienced that was just incredible for you, right? Amazing. Maybe it was a restaurant, right? A real find, um, not too expensive, amazing food, incredible people, right? Maybe it's a book that you read, um, a hike that you took, a ski run that you discovered on the mountain, right? That you know your friends have never seen. Um, you know, it could be any number of things, right? And then you come across someone, a friend, maybe somebody with kind of similar interest in that area, and, but who had, who had no idea about this thing that you have experienced, right? What is your instinct, right? What is your impulse? You want to tell them about it, right? You want them to experience the goodness that you have experienced. And friends, if that is instinctive to us, at least if we're emotionally healthy, where did that come from? Friends, I believe this is an expression of the heart of God the heart of God within us, because it is God's desire for us to know, to experience the goodness that we have in him, the goodness of his creation, of life itself, but him, his nature, his character, his presence in our life. And so in this tiny letter that Paul writes to his friend Philemon, we see the Holy Spirit move Paul to pray that Philemon, and by extension all believers, would come to know every good thing that is ours in Christ. All right, that's what we're going to unpack. Now, as is the case with almost 
all of the prayers of Paul that we can find, he begins this with a statement of gratitude, right? Paul is thankful. So we're in Philemon, and there's not even chapter 1. It's just Philemon verses 4 and 5, what we're starting with. We're going to go on down through verse 7, okay? And Paul says, I always thank God. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, friends, right there, even in that small statement, we see one of the great emphasis of prayer throughout Paul's letters, and for that matter, virtually all of the New Testament. Paul is grateful for Philemon's faith in God, the presence of God in his life, and how this faith is actively expressed in love for the community of believers, right? a love for people. And if we consider the broader message of the New Testament, that we see that this heart, and it, it, the, like, ah, let me take a step back. When we zoom out and consider the broader message of the New Testament, we see that the heart, the example of Christ, is extending that love, not just to the community of believers, that's where it starts, but to all people, right? That's a bigger discussion, but I just, I just had to add that. And friends, now, from this heart posture of gratitude, Paul prays for something very specific that like some other scripture can sometimes get a bit lost in translation. So what I want to do here is take this opportunity to talk about an occasional challenge when we are engaging with scripture, right? You're familiar with the idea of something being lost in translation. This means there, there's meaning loss, there's depth or richness that we miss when we go from one language to another, okay? This happens all the time in scripture, right? So the original language, of course, of the New Testament is Greek. Greek is very different from English in its structure, right? How it, how it conveys things. And at times, biblical interpreters will arrive at quite different translations of the same text. And Paul's prayer for Philemon here in verse 6 is a good example. So what I want to do is look at this from several different translations, right? And see what we find in translation rather than what is lost in translation. Okay, so I want to start with the original version of the NIV, right? The New International Version, a little redundancy there. But this is the translation. I believe it originally came out in 1984. I think that's right. But this is a translation used that was used when I first read this scripture. Really remember hearing a sermon preached on this passage. So from the original version of the NIV, we read, Paul prays, he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Okay? Today, a very popular translation is the ESV, the English Standard Version, and it's very similar to this. It reads, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ, right? So the idea here of sharing our faith. Well, what does that mean? Now, I can remember being told that sharing our faith meant personal evangelism, and that apart from personal evangelism being a part of our lives, right, all the time, we would not understand the goodness of Christ. But friends, here's the thing. That's not what the text is talking about, right? Sharing our faith with, you know, bringing people, introducing people to the, the gospel, the goodness of Christ is a wonderful thing, it's a biblical thing. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, 
right? And when the NIV was re-released just a few years ago, they revised this, and this is how it reads now. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. All right, another version. This is the Holman Standard Version. You may or may not be familiar with that. And here the text says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. In the New Living Translation, a little older translation, and I'm not particularly a huge fan of the NLT, but it's interesting how they render it here. And they say, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. And having studied this verse a lot, that is, I just think that is an excellent translation of the underlying Greek of, of the verse here in this instance. But I want to end with the New American Standard Bible. The NASB, uh, the NASB um, by many is considered kind of a standard um, scholarly um, translation. And here we read, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the, uh, through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. Okay. Now, really looking at all of those together, by the way, another little aside, this is an example of why it's so awesome that we have tools now like Bible Gateway. There's a lot of different um, ways you can go, go about this, different online resources. But when you're really wrestling with and reading a passage of Scripture, don't just read it in the NIV or in the King James or whatever. Read it in multiple different translations, and you will see this broader richness of the way different translators over the years have wrestled with how they render the underlying Greek text. It's a great thing to do. Anyway, um, NESB again, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Okay, because here's the thing. The active verb here that we saw seen in all these translations in English was translated as sharing or partnership, participation, put into action, and then again, we just saw fellowship. But in the Greek, it's just one word. And this word is the central concept of koinonia, of koinonia. You've likely heard that before. Most often, and we see this because it crops up a lot through the New Testament, and most of the time, you will see it rendered as fellowship, as we just saw there in the NASB. And what koinonia does, it describes an active, interactive, relational, interpersonal, communicating partnership. When we see this in the New Testament, it is describing, in many occasions, both the unique spiritual relationship that we share with each other, right, with other believers, but also the spiritual relationship that we share with Christ, and we see that dual relationship like right in the same breath in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Now listen to this. Here John writes, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, that you may have koinonia with us. And our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. Ah, friends, think of that. 
the way Scripture here describes our relationship with Christ, right, our dependent union with Christ, is the same concept used to describe our relationship with each other. I mean, listen again to the prayer, um, again from the NASB. Paul says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith, the koinonia that you share together, may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul here prays that Philemon, and by extension again, all believers, that we would intentionally and graciously put into, the, put into action the expression of our faith in Christ in the context of how we love, we forgive, we befriend, and we serve alongside other followers of Jesus. To distill this down even further, we could just go to the great commandment, where to really just boil that down to one statement that if you've tracked with me over the years, you've heard me say a thousand times, and it's the greatest expression of how we love God is how we love people. So here's a question. What does it mean? Right? What does it look like for this prayer to be answered in our lives? Well, friends, what it means is, is that we are sharers of life. You see, it means that God's work in our lives is not just about us. It's an important reminder that the phrase that we all grew up, at least I grew up hearing all the time, the phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus, does not appear in the New Testament. Now, of course, we do have a personal faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God's presence in our lives impacts us personally, right? It transforms us. It brings life to us. But this is key to the New Testament mind. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Christ without this relationship being expressed and maturing and taking on life and expression in the context of community. To put it another way, if we have an inward relationship with Christ, we will by definition have, unless there's just some very unique extenuating circumstance, right? But just an almost all common experiences of life, there will also always be an outward expression of that inward relationship, outwardly, in our relationship with others. And the primary context of that outward expression of our faith is the koinonia, the active, generous, forgiving, merciful, servant-hearted, patient, grace-filled fellowship that we have with the body of Christ, because that's the nature of our relationship with Christ. Now, Peter captures this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, where he says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering, administering rather, God's grace in all its various forms. If anyone speaks, you should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, you should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's not just about us. And friends, then... As we are living in this interdependent relationship within the body of Christ, we see this inseparable connection that Paul makes between fellowship, between koinonia, 
in us knowing and experiencing every good thing that is in Christ. Now, the emphasis here of the, that we see um, in all those renditions, I'm going to look at the NASB again, is that, is that every good thing, right? Every good thing is what we already have. Things that we already have and that we experience for the sake of Christ. Right? One last time, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge, right? Through you coming to know and understand every good thing which is in you, right? That's a completed um, statement, which is already yours. And then doing this for the sake of Christ. You see, friends, again, this is key. This isn't a picture of God withholding his blessings until we're like pulling our own relational weight within the church. And then he gives us the good things that we're asking for, right? No, that's not what it's saying at all. Rather, this is a picture of our active participating of how, let me say it this way, of how our active participation in God's family will open our heart, will open our minds, so we will come to understand the goodness of God in Christ that we already possess. All right, well, what are examples of that? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's hope, peace, patience, kindness, love, Courage, contentment, identity, right? freedom from performance-based acceptance, from guilt, from shame and condemnation, right? the ability to appreciate the temporary things of life without being defined by the temporary things of life or, for that matter, bound to them. You know, it's the joy of seeing God use us to bring life to others because this is a maturing cycle of blessing. Our participation with God in his community leads us to a greater understanding of God's goodness to us and in us. And this greater understanding then leads us to a greater participation with God in his work and his purposes and in his, in, within his family, the community of faith, the church. So, there's one last thought here, okay? Paul ends the prayer with gratitude again for how Philemon has given him and the church around him the gift of being refreshed, refreshed. Verse seven, Paul says, Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Think of that. Friends, we talk a lot within um, the Christian community, you know, just bemoaning all the division in our country. But the reality is, is that there's also great division in the church. And friends, this is the opposite of koinonia. So here's a thought. What would it look like if before any word you said or I said, any email, text, social media post, or decision in how we participate or relate to the community of faith, what would it look like if first we considered how will what I'm about to say and do refresh the hearts of the Lord's people? Will it do that? Now, of course, there are issues worth wrestling with, worth debating, right? Reasoning together with one another. There are times when we must follow our conscience before God, right? But it is extremely difficult, my friends, extremely difficult to find any support in Scripture 
for the presence of animosity, bitterness, dishonesty, or exclusion within the body of Christ, or for that matter, between Christians and anyone else. And in that spirit, I'll end with the beautiful and incredibly um, convicting calling that we see in Romans 12, by the, the, the second really half of Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. So as I read this, I just, I just want you to capture in your mind, I just want you to think, right, how God has created us, created us and called us and blessed us with participation within the body of faith and how that brings transforming love to how we relate to the world around us. And here in Romans 12, starting in verse 9, we read, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. And I don't have time to go into it here, but the word hate there and what we do with that is important. Right? Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Right? It's not about us. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Koinonia. Practice hospitality. Koinonia. Right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I just have to expand that there a little bit. I can't help myself. All right? Be willing to associate with people that others would consider outcasts or others would choose not to associate with for some reason. Okay? I know the word low position there has a specific meaning. But it's very, very in keeping with the spirit of this to not be consumed by our religious pride, but be willing to associate with and bring God's goodness to anyone. It goes on and says, and do not be conceited. And do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then here's really the central statement I want you to hear. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. So do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I have to parenthetically add there, right? That's not about, and in doing this, we will cause them pain or punish them. No, that, that, that image of putting burning coals on someone's head, I've talked about this in the past, that is an image of an ancient practice of basically repentance and, redeem, of re, of re, repentance and redemption, okay? In doing this, you will lead them to a place of conviction that brings them into repentance and redemption. And then verse 21, so do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? Do, not become over, do not become overcome by evil and take on the ways that are foreign to God's nature and how we respond or react to people. 
right? Don't get, don't get sucked in to the, a, a, a way of dealing with people that neglects the nature and the goodness of God, but rather overcome evil with good, with good. Koinonia. Oh, what a concept. Friends, I love you. Thank you for tracking with me today. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you.